As we pick up in Acts chapter 20, we're going right back to verse 13, and right now we're going to do a little review of Eutychus. We can't miss that because we were still kind of on the tail end of that message, but it, it kind of like goes right in. So a scripture always must prevail. Let's pick up in Acts chapter 20, verse 13. Now remember, when we see the word, the first two words here in verse 13, and we, this is not Paul writing this. This is Dr. Luke, who now has come away with some of the other uh, brethren, Cephas, there was, there was, I mean, not Cephas, I'm sorry, Silas, Timothy, and some other ones, and they've all gotten together, and now here Dr. Luke continues to write and give us a lesson on what's going on here, and he writes this. Verse 13, And we went before to ship and sailed unto Asos, there intending to take in Paul, for so he had appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came to Mytilene. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Tregilium. And in the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. And basically here he's saying there's witnesses. Many people have seen him preach. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more, wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. And here comes one of my favorite Bible verses in all of Scripture. I love them all, but this is one of my favorites. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He's saying all the counsel of God. Not just his version of it. And he doesn't cut and paste and all. All of it, he says. These maps, we're going to go over some of the towns. Anybody not get one? Some of these maps? These are the best maps. Well, for the third time, I'm going to say it again. These are, sure, you want, Dave, you want one? I got extra ones. These... This is the best map I've seen of Paul's third missionary journey. Anyone else? Because there's these little boxes here that have some information inside of them, but this third missionary journey is so utterly, vitally important. So, as we go back for some review, we see that even though Satan may have tried to rear his ugly head at this worship service with, with Paul preaching in Troas, which this vilest offender may have actually been present himself, 
even though it might have been a present distraction in this assembly, where it turned out to be, it was a confirmation of the preaching of Paul, the effectual healing of Jesus Christ, and proof of the power of the triune God. Where was Paul when he preached and he healed Eutychus? Does anybody remember where he was? What town that was? You can see that on your map. Right there where all those islands are, there's Lesbos, there's Mytilene, there's, uh, there's Melita, there's Asos. Right there, he was a Troas. That's right, he was a Troas. And when he was a Troas, there are a lot of different pe- types of people there. And the whole time he was there, I personally believe that there are events when Christ is in the middle of all of this and there's such a high profile of Christianity going forward. I believe that there are many times when Satan doesn't send his junior demons. He's there himself. And we can see the trouble followed Paul everywhere he went. And so right now we see that basically Paul had stretched himself out as we had talked last time like in 1 Kings 17, 21 with Elijah. And then we went to 2 Kings. We saw Elisha had stretched out, put his arms out, and healed young men. And they had life back in them. And then we see how Paul inwardly and earnestly bowed over this young man and fell on the dead body, embraced Eutychus as a sign to to, to represent the descent of the divine healing of God, Jehovah Rapha or Jehovah Rapha. As we talked about chiasms last week with Brother Jerry, he was talking about Hebraic, uh, Hebraic linguistic um, forms of literature and forms of poetry that are said that we can really learn a lot from. And we see here, we see here with Paul that he, he embraces, we see the divine healing of God and the names of God in the Hebrew are incredible. You, there's many lists of those, and one of them is Jehovah Rapha, and there's also Jehovah Rophaka, I believe that's R-O-P-H-E-K-A. That is the great physician, the one who heals. And so Paul is given this power by the Holy Spirit to, to not just heal this man, but raise him from the dead, as we saw Jairus' daughter and the widow of Nain's son in Christ's ministry. Many times he was able to heal of his own accord. All the time he was. But there were witnesses. The very fact that we're reading about this and that Dr. Luke writes this proves that there is unequivocally, there are witnesses to these miracles. And so whenever you hear anything like, well, in the theological sense, these miracles were metaphorical, they didn't really happen, they were legends, and it may not even exist. That's a lie. There are witnesses for this. Sure. Right. 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 Went right back to preaching. Right. Right. And he, and he reifies that in these next verses where he says, I took nothing from anyone. I gave you everything publicly. I gave you the truth. And then I preached the whole council. He says, I know that I'm going into a hotbed. But right now, when you look on this map, you can see on the map right here, if you go kind of like into the center, start at the center of the map and look a little to your left, 
you see Troas and Asos. Now, what's happening here is Paul was invited by the brethren to get on ship and to go around the peninsula. On the peninsula. You see Troas as like comes to a point? You see that? He was invited to get on a ship and take an easier way around the Aegean Sea there um, to little uh, east of Samothrace and take that around to Asos and to just come right there, come up to the beach, and he's right there where he needs to be. But we just read something. There's a pivotal word that we just read in the first couple verses. What was that? Paul went afoot. They were supposed to sail, right? Why did he do that? Does anybody have any idea why he did that? I'll give you a clue. Think of some of Christ's ministries. We were gonna, I wanted to talk about that more next week. But think of some of his ministries as kind of a lead-in. Why did he go afoot when he could have gotten on the ship? Exactly. Right. He still had brethren that were pulling on him. Can you imagine what they were doing? He probably gets up. Now remember, this was on the first day of the week, the Sabbath day. He heals Eutychus. He's been preaching since after dinner for hours leading up into midnight. And the next day they're supposed to go to Asos, get on a ship, board, and go there and continue the ministry. And they probably were grabbing him and saying, asking him endless questions about how he healed that man. They wanted to hear more about Jesus. If a, man, if, a, if, if a man like Paul raises a man like Eutychus from the dead and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's explaining what the resurrection is, these people were probably lining up and begging him, what are you talking about? How did you do this? Tell us more about this Jesus. Tell us more about this resurrection. And then he brings them to repentance. He says, you want to know more about this? John preached in the beginning of his ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to repent. So he's connecting that with the resurrection. What does repentance have to do? That is the requirement that Christ gives us, that we repent of our sins. He doesn't tell us to go dump all kind of money into the church. He doesn't tell us that we have to go to Tibet and walk up those steps and do all these goofy things. He says you need to believe and repent. And that's what Paul is preaching. And so what he's doing with with the brethren of Troas... I believe as far as they could go, this is my conspiracy theory. Not that it's even a conspiracy. I think it's wonderful. I think they followed him. And they couldn't follow him on the ship. Because they, the ship was full. There was the brethren. Probably some of the elders from the other churches were on there. It's, it says that it was the brethren, basically. They wanted to talk to him. And he probably spent a lot of time, went on foot, and there was definitely danger in that little area of, of walking from Troas to Asos, which was several miles. And so that's where Paul is right now. But there he is. He was at Troas. And as you look right there, right below Troas is Asos. And then you see the little island right below Asos, across that little canal, right there to the west of Pergamos is Mytilene. And that's where he winds up going to Mytilene, and Chios, and Samos. And then below Ephesus, in the Asia area, there's Miletus. That's where we're focused right now on that map. You see, you look around it, we see how from before you get a little bit of history. Paul had sent Timothy and Erastus to Macedonia. And then you see how Paul bypasses Ephesus on his return to reach Jerusalem. And that's what we're looking at now. Paul is going to leave Greece and it's time for him to go to Jerusalem. Why? We're going to look at that. I think that's very important. 
So he breaks away. Paul and his disciples and other brothers in Christ, they would purpose to board the ship and then sail to Asos. Paul's brethren intended to take Paul with them for the appointed meeting that Paul had laid on his heart from the Holy Spirit to go into these Greek areas. And he goes to Asos first. Paul goes by foot from Troas, and the other brethren meet him there, and he goes to Asos. Asos is, an, is a very in, in, an interesting um, Greek island, by the way. It right now is nothing but a big marsh. Because of all the years of decay, it's pulled away from the land, and now going, there can only be some like, uh, like building seen above the marsh, and it's, in, it's pretty destroyed. But we see here uh, the Holy Spirit laid on Paul's heart here to go. And let me read you this. This is actually this place in, in Asos or Greece. It had one, at one point, it had fallen to Alexander the Great and subsequently was ruled by the Macedonian general Lysimachus, the kings of Pergamum, and then it fell into the hands of Rome. The rule, the rule would have been turned over to the kings of Pergamum and then, as we know, under the evil reign of the Roman Empire. Here, Aristotle had found a platonic school or a school relating to or teaching the various characteristics. What do I mean by platonic? Anybody know? That's close, but it's actually totally different. Anybody? Greg, did you have your hand up? It was teaching the characteristics and education of Plato. But the relationships, no doubt, were very much what you're describing. But Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, they didn't go back. These Greeks didn't go back to some kind of manifesto where you go all the way back to the Old Testament and talk about the prophets. They can only go back 300 years prior in their false religion and talk about Socrates and Plato. That's all they could talk about. The metaphysical world. They were teaching like Cleanthes. Cleanthes actually was born in Asos. And he was a big philosopher. Remember how we studied many months ago, several months ago, about the Epicureans and the Stoics. Cleanthes was born in Asos, and he is the one that elevated the Stoic, the, the Stoic cult. Where the Stoics, they had this hedonism where they believed that you could do anything you want but just not step over the line no matter what it was, what kind of sin. That you just went up and the Epicureans, boy, they did anything. And their religion was live now. It's basically, if you see a lot of these commercials from football, go back about probably 20 years ago. Remember, remember the Nike commercial, Go For It? Remember those commercials? A lot of those commercials are very applicable to what happened here because that was the that was basically the emblem of the day go for it do whatever you want if it if it suits you and if it's happy if it's happy you do it and that's what the epicureans and the stoics were cleanthes was born he was a major philosopher he had had over 50 works that actually had been destroyed and there's only a few left but he was he was he was linked to this to this island and there paul is walking to this greek area that is all nothing but just dripping with Greek metaphysical, just wicked paganism. And he's going in there and talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's going to put down their idols again. I mean, this guy had more guts. I mean, think about it. Can you imagine that? 
I mean, when he was at Mars Hill, they could have killed him right there. They had every right to do it. The Roman Empire gave them the power to have all these horrible crucifixions and different things. If you spoke against any one of the gods, he stands there and laughs at him. He goes, you even have an unknown god. You have so many gods and you're tripping over them. <coughs> and he could have easily been killed. He had guts. And he goes into Asos. And there was a quote. I think I have it here somewhere. There's a quote that says something to the effect that if there is one on foot that goes from Troas to Asos, Asos it, would not be, it would not be unlikely for them to die. It was a very, this trek going from Troas on foot instead of taking a boat was actually very dangerous. <coughs> so, going back to, we see Cleanthes teaching Platonism, and this is a, that was a, this island was, had an educational school teaching about Plato and Socrates and the Stoics. We see Asos had predominantly been occupied by Greek and some Greek-speaking Jews, or Hellenistic Jews, of course. So when Dr. Luke and some of the other brethren took ship to go to Asos, they were heading between the islands near Lesbos, Mytilene, Chios, Samos, and then all the way for down further southwest of Miletus. And, and this is emphasizing... Now, they took ship while Paul was walking, and there's the Aegean Sea, the Aegean Sea there. So, as we're continuing the work of the Lord, we share the objective of Paul the Apostle to meet and have another corporate meeting with the brethren. Paul was doing this everywhere. He speaks about publicly talking and not holding anything back. Everywhere he went, he did it in public. Remember at the theater, when we were studying that several weeks ago in the theater, where that great big uh, riot broke out. And then we see here, Paul's going to, he's a Troas, he's preaching openly, and he heals Eutychus. Now he's going to Asos, and then Miletus, and in Miletus, he's going to meet the elders there. And they want him to hold back and stay back, but he wants to get to Jerusalem. That's where he wants to go. Then look how far, look where he has to go at Asos, all the way down to get to Jerusalem. Look how far that is. That's all close to a thousand miles. And he's got to, he's got to go all the way down from there, and that's where he's heading. And he goes by Asia, meets at Miletus, and they wanted him to stay in Asia Minor. They loved him. They didn't want him to leave. Well, we see here, of the mention, we see these elders. The elders to Timothy had appointed, he, he, Timothy had appointed elders. Paul would meet with them, and then Paul's appointment would come back. And I believe it was those 12 men that he had trained back in chapter 19. He's going to meet with them also. And then wind up getting back to Jerusalem. So Paul would visit the different islands around the coast of Greece. One would have been Mytilene, or that is the chief city of the island of Lesbos, south of Asos. Another one, Chaos or Samos. But another one that is notable in the island is the island of Miletus. This is the ancient city of Asia Minor, which is on the southern shore in Latin, the Gulf, uh, the, the Gulf there along the Mediterranean Sea. It, would be, it could be approached by the Aegean Sea, and is an extension of the Mediterranean. It has incredible history going all the way back to the conquest of the Persian island, the Persian Empire, I mean, and back here, the history is incredible. Remember the king that put Daniel in the lion's den, Darius? He actually conquered Asos at one point. This was one of his areas. This is incredible. So what happened here is that Paul had purpose to go on foot and here to carry on the work, to visit friends, perhaps encourage other little churches, or maybe he just wanted to be alone also during the time. And we don't have, we don't have the details of this, but we can see what his objective was. 
and eventually he would wind up going to Rome in a very hard manner. He would reach and share the gospel with these believers from Troas who accompanied him, and his number one objective is to get back to Jerusalem. So Paul would send for the elders of Ephesus, and the leaders, Paul, showed he would not neglect Asia, but it's incredible that without... Here Paul does not have social media. He doesn't have a cell phone. There are no electronics back in the day, but this man multitasked more than anybody you could ever imagine, all the different things he was doing. He's dictating some of his letters to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians. He's preaching, he's teaching. And then one of the reasons he wants to get back to Jerusalem, the other apostles are there. And he wants to get back. It's like a a corporate presbytery meeting and he has to take the tithes that he got in these churches. They they, They would all give him things and he would take them. He wouldn't keep them. He would take them back to Jerusalem and they would divvy them up among the brethren and use them for the poor. And so this is what Paul's objective was also. So Paul's, he's bringing the elders together and he's speaking with them, preaching and praying with them. And then we see as we move forward in verses 18 to 20, Paul says, he says he, he meets with, these, with these, the group of elders and he talks to them about repentance. He said, you know the manner of speaking that I had given. At this point, we see if you read some of the words that Paul had given, you might think that there is almost like a dollop of arrogance in what he's saying, but that's not it at all. He's building a case, and what he's trying to do is bring them full circle to show the objective was to bring them to repentance in Jesus Christ because these are the very words that came out of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ when he preached the first time and John the Baptist, and this was the criteria that was given. Remember, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. One more blow and Christ could come back. Why would John the Baptist be able to say this so profoundly? Because he knew here Christ has come the first time. He's the one that says, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. John the Baptist says this. And he sees Christ. The prophecy was that Christ would come the first time. John, he knew that he was coming back a second time. And that second time would be a massive, massive time of judgment. And he's warning the people. Remember, where was, does anybody remember, where was John the Baptist's ministry? Anybody remember? Remember the wilderness of Judea? And that's where Christ had taken over the wilderness of Judea. Paul, Paul would actually wind up there, but basically what happens is John goes into the wilderness. He wouldn't go back to any of the feasts. He wouldn't go back to Passover or any of the, fe- the autumn feasts or anything like that. He wouldn't go back. He wouldn't drink wine. He wasn't given over to any type of feast. He was in that wilderness preaching repentance. And here's what Paul's doing, the same thing. I think it's important to bring that up because we have to see the connection between these men. There was no division between their theology. Not, not one of them didn't preach some kind of different pharisaical law, going back to the Torah. Another one didn't go off and start preaching some pagan rituals from the Egyptians or maybe back going into the Persian Empire. They were all going back to the prophets and they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I did not hold back anything. What does that mean? We're going to look at that. Paul wasn't just taking, he wasn't just talking to the part of of these congregations. Paul was speaking to the leaders and he was training them. Basically what happens later on in the chapter is Paul says, it breaks my heart to leave you. 
He's saying, I am in tears. But he's saying, every one of you, you're going to be talking together. Troas will speak to Asos. Asos will go back to Macedonia. Macedonia will talk to those in Ephesus, Asia Minor, Thessalonica. And always remember this. When I leave, wolves are going to come in. And they're going to, they are going to come in and they are going to try to destroy your churches. Now, I think about that. Isn't this some kind of mythological legend that gets left back 2,000 years ago in Paul's third missionary journey? Or is this something that we can take heed and we can see it happening today in our own churches? He says there are wolves among you. Look at the wolves that have come into the churches today. Look at the wolves that would never go on foot and try to walk from town to town or drive and encourage the churches, but they go into these great big mega churches, hop on their Gulf Stream jets and go to their next conference with nothing but absolute comfort and tons of money coming in. Paul comes back and says right here what we're reading, I took nothing. I worked hard. I have basically worked and I have paid for my expenses. Anything you give me is going back to Jerusalem. I'm not here to profit all this. I'm here to die for this. I'm here to take it on the chin, and eventually I'm going to die for this. He knew it, and we're gonna, uh, we can prove that. But he's not just talking to the congregations. He's, he approached them with many tears. Paul wept because of those he loved, who he taught, and those who did not know Christ. It says here that Paul wept. Look in Romans chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. Can somebody read that? Romans 9, verses 2 and 3. And see the struggles emotionally that Paul went through as he was going from town to town preaching the gospel. Anybody have that? Thank you, Matthew. Did this look like this was some kind of a party for Paul? That this was some kind of entertaining gimmick where everybody's laughing with these seeker services and all these weird things that happened? He was like Christ, a man of sorrows, yet acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. Paul carried this sorrow in his heart. He cared about these people. He really wanted them to be closer to Christ. And his objective was to get them into the Scriptures, to pray, and to have that wonderful joy. There was also struggling. There were immature believers that Paul identified with love to show how important it was to use their gifts and to grow in Christ through the process of sanctification that has all of us in different time periods. Paul could see the people. He knew that some of them were immature in their Christianity, even if they were saved at all. He knew that some of them were a lot further along. He saw something in Timothy. I think that's incredible. He knew that young man loved the Lord and he was ready to be trained. And that man, young man was trained at a young age and became one wonderful wonderful carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and to his town, to the churches. And many times Paul resorts back and he speaks of Timotheus and he talks about his, his uh, training with Timothy. And he, later on, if you read in the book and how he encouraged Timothy because Timothy had had some pro- family problems. But there were others that Paul saw that he knew they might not be ready yet, but he still treated them with love. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't stick his finger in, their, in, their, in, their, in his face and start accusing them and beating them down and saying they're good for nothing. He was patient with them. And that's what he was doing here. He saw that there was immaturity. He saw that there was, 
He knew that in these towns that there was a real propensity of these churches to be split apart. He says, I'm not trying to keep you from anything other than to, to show you what is in Scripture and what the Lord says and how important this is. <clears throat> he says, I'm not trying to tyrannize the churches and take them over and expect a big payout from them. He wanted them in heaven with him. And I believe that that's the heart of a pastor. The pastor is willing to walk over glass and to die for the cause of his people going to heaven. Not trying to increase their prosperity here on this earth and trying to get them to do things that they shouldn't be doing. To encourage them to get closer to Christ. Paul says how he kept nothing back from them. He didn't mince words. He did not try to pacify and patronize to gain public acceptance. He preached exactly what Christ directed him to preach by the power of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 13 to 31. They're short verses. Can somebody look at that? That's a lot of verses, but they're short and only take a couple minutes. Read those verses, please. Can somebody look those up? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 13 to 31. Keep going to 31.
So you asked what Paul, thank you, Teresa. You did a beautiful job. You asked what Paul was trying to say here in these verses. You go to these verses, and there's many more like them. This is the whole council. He says the Lord doesn't use many, uh, many high people in this world to do his work. It's usually the lowly. He says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Look at all the wise and the scribes of today. Look at them. Can you look at them through the eyes that, that Paul is trying to teach us when you see CNN and you can see that 99.999% of it is a bunch of absolute filth and lies? The scribes, the ones that write and record this, they write and record it and they interpret it in their, in their own eyes. And they have a way of putting lipstick on it and turning it around so that they take the truth. They take men like Barack Obama and this man who's governor, and they make them, they lift them. Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, all these people, and they lift them up on this high level. And if you're a Christian, and if you listen to these words, you can see things for what they really are. And it protects you and your family to not follow after these things. The wise and the scribe, where's the wisdom of the world? What's, Christ, what's Paul talking about here? What's he trying to say? What he does is he goes right to the cross. He says in these words, he says that the cross, it divides. You go back to verse 18 that Teresa read. It divides. The death on the cross at Golgotha, the burial and bodily resurrection of our Savior, as the only way of salvation, it divides people. It cuts. It separates families and relationships, churches, denominations, and nations. And if you rest solely on the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will divide you eventually from somebody. You will have arguments. You will have, you will have d- divisions among people when there's so many, so many false religions out there and you stick to the truth. If someone is not open in their hearts to receive it, they're going to fight it. Paul says that. We read in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth? Christ says, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Could have said the mother-in-law against the son-in-law. That would really escalate it. But I can tell you, there's divisions all over. Christ said, my gospel will divide. Here's Paul's going back to that. And he's about to say a little bit down the road, wolves are going to come in to your churches. And I'm scared to death, he's saying. And he's saying this in tears. What did Christ say? What did he say? There will be wolves in sheep's clothing, remember? He said the same thing. Here, Christ himself, he, Jesus Christ himself had a mission on this earth with his preaching and his miracles, his death, burial, and his resurrection, it would divide. The cross divides and it separates the world because the people of this world hate Christ. Those perishing who think the preaching of the cross is foolishness, they're the ones that foolish. They're foolish. The foolish, foolish derived from Greek word moros or what English derives as morons, They believe preaching is idiotic to the natural man, but they are the ones that will perish eternally. They believe the cross is inane. It's idiotic. It's foolishness to the natural man. They are already perishing right now under the wrath of God, and they are self-destructing. Those that are divided and the ones that reject and they hate Christ. 
I thought it was fascinating. I was watching a show last week. I do. I do that every now and then. <laughs> They're Catholic. And the fellow said he wanted, to go, he wanted to go to confessional and he wanted to go to the priest. The problem was is the Monsignor was not available. But I love what he did. He said, you know, I couldn't go to the Monsignor. I'm going to go to God myself. He said, I'm going to preach myself. I mean, pray myself to the Lord God Almighty. That's what we do. Paul's saying, go straight to God. Don't go to man. Don't, don't, come, don't come and pray to me and ask me to confess your, confess your sins to me. Go to God. I can't do anything. I'm fit fuel for the fires of hell is what I am. If it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ, I'll pray for you. But don't confess your sins to me or any other pastor or elder or deacon. You go to Christ. And that's what Paul's saying. You go straight to the one. What else does the cross do? What, what did Paul, what, what was he saying in these, in these letters? And I remember weeks and weeks ago thinking about getting to this passage after reading Acts 20, thinking I really want to get back to 1 Corinthians and I want to talk about these words because it's so important. Right now, up to this point, we've been reading Dr. Luke's words about basically what Paul was doing. But now we're getting to what Paul is saying. And he says the cross divides. The cross destroys. He just said that here. We see that in verses 19 to 21 that Teresa just read here in 1 Corinthians 1. Like Isaiah 29, 14. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and understanding of their prudence shall be hid. The cross of Christ, it destroys all of the lies that are in this world. The wisdom of the wise, the worldview has produced secularism. Well, we just looked at one in Asos. What did we just see? We saw the Platonic teaching of Cleanthes, or Platonism. Platonicism, I believe, or Platonism. Be careful with these isms. These isms are schisms. <laughs> That's the way I like to look at it. You've got to be careful with them. There's, isms, there's so many of them, you, you, you think that it's somewhere along the line there might be a wasm. There's, there's so many of them. Look at them. How many, how many isms are out there? This is just the beginning of them. We have secularism, humanism, existentialism, pragmatism, rationalism, universalism, atheism, pantheism. And you put them all under a big bucket and you can put this heading over it and it all falls under relativism. Anything goes. Paul says that's not true. God is not neutral to the schoolings and the teaching of this world. He will crush it. He will not be mocked today. Now there's pictures and there's all kinds of literature out there showing with the, from the LGBTQ, ABCDEFG, HIJK, all these other <laughs> letters that come behind it now. They're just, it's, and there's a plus mark now behind it. So they're going to keep on going with all the acronyms. They say that Jesus himself took part in homosexuality and that he loves it. He's part of it. There's all these horrible pictures out there and now they're trying to bring him into this filth. And that's what they do. Three words. Remember Lot's wife. Three words. The educators, the think tanks, the false teachers, those who tear down the Bible and call it a historical reference, and not God's holy and errant word, those who try to bridge the gap between evolution and creation, those who believe in justification, not by faith alone, but by the works of man, those who follow man and believe there are many ways to heaven. That's, a, that's another one. The cross, Paul, in verses 22 to 23 in 1 Corinthians 1, 
He says something. I'm, just gonna, I'm, gonna stop. I'm gonna stop on this one. There's three other ones. We can look at those later. But I love this one. He says the cross of Christ first. He said it divides, it destroys. Here's another one. The cross of Christ, it disturbs. It disturbs people. It's disturbing. What does that mean? It's confounds. It was, it was disturbing to the Jews and the Gentiles and the Greeks. Saying that this is the ultimate way to heaven. It's disturbing to those. Jesus, the, Jesus said to us in Matthew 12, 38 and 39. Can someone look that up? Let's read that. How the cross disturbs. They're the Jews that sought signs. And look at all the signs that Christ had already given. It wasn't enough. They wanted more. They wanted something that they thought would just make them believe. But without God, they had no power to believe. But they asked for more signs. Who has that? Matthew 12, 38 and That's, that's good. Thank you, Teresa. You're doing great this morning. Look at this. There will be no sign given. He's saying, I've done enough. You haven't seen enough yet? What else do you have to give? What was told, what did Abraham tell the rich man that was burning in hell? What did he say? He said, man, burning in hell, I think, it's, I think the interpretation is uh, Dives, I think, or whatever his name was. He's the one that had, there was the man Lazarus that would, Come and he would let him eat out of his trash cans, but he wouldn't invite him in his house. It's the end of it's at the end of Luke chapter sixteen. You can read about it. He cries out to Abraham, "Tell my sons not to come to this place." I mean, what better what better preview of hell can you give than someone who actually is describing it through the words of our Lord? And he says, "Please tell them not to come to this place." And Abraham says, "Hey, they have the writings of Moses. They're not going to read them. They're going to learn them." They're not going to believe anything if they're not going to read and they're not going to learn. They're going to read Scripture. And the Lord has to illumine their heart. And that's what our, our message is, to be patient with others as we close here. And we see how Paul is, is, is he's meeting with the elders at Miletus now. They're asking him to stay back. They want him there. They love him. And he says, no, i got to go. i got to get to Jerusalem. i got a long trek, but the Lord is calling me there. He's bound in the Spirit. And he said, basically, anything that I want to do, I just can't do what I want to do. I'm bound in the Spirit. The Spirit has my heart. And I will go where the Spirit leads me. And the Holy Spirit wants me to go to Jerusalem. Because I have work to do there. But I want to tell you something. You remember those words that I've preached to you. Because I've given you the whole counsel. I've told you everything. Don't ever forget that. Because when the wolves come, they're going to try to take those words. And they're going to try to, they're going to, try to twist them and turn them. And they're going to try to turn you against them. Can we see that today in churches? Many churches where the words have been twisted? Just look at some of the signs out in front of these churches. We got this one out. There's a new one right, right down. There's a, don't forget, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock down here at this Episcopal Church, they're having a faith healing service. Don't miss it. Tomorrow night, it's February 6th at 7 p.m. That's the kind of stuff you see, you know? And, and so Paul's saying, don't fall for this. 
He says, I know that the cross divides. I know that it destroys. I know that it disturbs. And then he goes on to say it distinguishes and it delivers. I know this. But don't forget all these words that I'm telling you. Because they're true. We see... He talks about the Greeks, he talks about the Jews, he talks about the debaters, the wise, the scribes, and how the cross delivers. But he says to the Jews, Christ is a stumbling block. And he's saying, don't ever let Christ be a stumbling block to your ministry. Don't ever let him be a threat to you. He's your, he's your friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He says, he's the, Paul says, I'm the one on the road to Damascus. He was my friend that saved me from myself. He was the one going to Damascus to take more Christians and to persecute them. Paul says he was bound in the Spirit. We see in verse 21, he addresses, he, preach, he preaches to them and tells them how he must go to this Presbytery Council, that they would wait for Paul and they would be waiting. And Paul knew And I'll give you a little window. You can go in and read this next week in Acts chapter 21. Agabus gives a prophecy about Paul. And he says how Paul is going to be be detained. And we're going to talk more about that prophecy going forward. He says he's bound in the Spirit. This is obedience. This is faith and the threat of danger. Paul knew that by preaching the whole council which would surely involve exposing political corruption. He was in grave peril and even of being martyred. Romans 15.31, he says, "...that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints." Because Paul here, he knew he would be getting attacked by the Jews, especially throughout Judea. He, his prayer was very important to Paul. He begged the Roman diaspora to pray for him. If you go to chapter 21... He, if you go, when we go into Acts 21, we can see how Paul begged everyone to pray for him. And that's how important prayer is. So next week, we're going to talk about the rest of this message from Paul, where he goes from there, and we're going to see Agabus, and we're going to see some other very interesting things happen. Let's finish with prayer. And I think I'll ask, uh, Greg, could you uh, close us with prayer this morning? Thank you.